Welcome to GeoThoughts. My name is Peck. Can open data advocacy be done for free? What conditions do non-governmental advocates need to survive and thrive in Canada's open data and open government community? I sat down with two GeoThink partners, Open North and Aja, to discuss the challenges they face. So my name is uh, Jean-Louis Landry, I'm the Executive Director of Open North. Uh, Open North specializes in open data and civic technology, founded in 2011. Uh, we work with governments, parliaments, and what we call the community, so the open data community, uh, which includes the nonprofit sector and, and others. Hi, I'm Michael Ensner. I'm uh, CEO of a company called Azure that uses open data to offer a fundraising service. And in 2012, our company created a nonprofit or launched a nonprofit. It is now hosted at Tides uh, on their shared platform called Power by Data. And Power by Data works also with um, government and funders to release open data um, that's helpful for the nonprofit sector. I first asked our two guests whether it was possible to do advocacy for free. Can we do this for free? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, there's very few things that you can do for free. Um, I think, you know, at the core of um, you know, the open data community or the open data movement, right, there's a certain kind of shared vision around principles, right, that motivates people to accomplish a certain vision of, you know, how we want to change the world. Right to put it in like a big picture, um, so that to a lot of people is very motivating, and it's also very empowering, and people want to be part of this global conversation, and they see an opportunity to influence uh, decision makers to change their political or democratic institutions. So, you know, I think there's there's an opportunity by kind of design, you know, for a lot of people to be uh, part of uh, the open data movement. Um, not everybody should expect to be, you know, paid for, for that work. If you're very motivated to, to achieve that vision, I think there's, there's room for a huge base of volunteers and a huge base of people to be kind of actively aware of what they can do to, you know, affect this change. Um, but you will, you do need to have, you know, uh, a network of organizations and individuals that focus on these issues on a you know full-time kind of in-depth basis so I think you need to have a combination of the two uh, but then the broader issue is how do you motivate your base and how do you do that with very limited resources agree <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah no I, I definitely have seen the difference in so I agree broadly, definitely with what Johnny is saying. Um, I think there's a lot of sense out there that to have effective volunteering, you need to have volunteer managers, uh, you need to have you know, policy directions that make sense, you need to engage with government. Um, I remember in another volunteer project, we had a problem advancing the project. Um, despite the work we were doing, it was actually pretty impressive. Um, we had a problem at a certain time because none of us could take meetings between nine and five. <laughs> and when you wanted to meet with the city to get them to sign on to a partnership, well, nine to five is, is a helpful time for meeting for a useful time they use for meetings. Um, but I, I think of the difference in the work um, between, because John Oway and I know each other from being in a, a volunteer group, so we've definitely done that side of it as well. 
where we were um, proposing to the city of Montreal to adopt an open data policy. Uh, the group was called Montreal Ouvert. Um, and I think of the difference between the work that we did then and mm -hmm. the work we do now, yeah. and, it, and it goes to the question, I think, of, of that came up in a different conversation, um, but of expertise. Mm -hmm. And what level of expertise do you need to do advocacy and, and to do um, effectively what we do is training government officials on how to release open data um, or how to consult around it. And, uh, and that, that thing that we're doing now um, is that I can't imagine doing as a volunteer because I can't imagine keeping up to date in all the developments in the, in the relevant fields as a volunteer actually. Our guests gave a short explanation of their past project, Montreal Ouvert. So Montreal Ouvert was founded in, uh, co-founded in 2010. It was a citizens initiative that brought together four of us, so four, four activists that you know came from kind of different perspectives. Um, and they, well, we, <laughs> we uh, had one main objective, which was to get the city of Montreal to adopt an open data policy because we realized that if there wasn't a policy, then a lot of these kind of community events and a lot of the advocacy that we would, you know, do would not necessarily have a, a huge kind of systemic uh, impact of the city, right? So it was necessary to have a legal framework to, to move this forward and to basically bind the city to release data, right? It's an open data format. Um, so quite, you know, if you can say so, I mean, quite successful, I think, you know, in kind of creating a space in Montreal to have a, uh, a public kind of dialogue around uh, open data and to make it a good idea at the right time. I think it was also resonating with, with the city at a time where the city was going through a number of different uh, crises around uh, corruption and collusion. And so open data became a good idea at the right time as a solution to part of the solution to some of those issues. Um, when the city adopted an open data policy and there was the last election uh, with the current administration, um, you know, we had to have a hard to think about what, you know, we wanted to do. And there was an opportunity for us to also kind of dedicate more time towards kind of the professionalization of our skill set that contributed to our success with Mahiruba. And so partly it was an issue of timing, right? And I think the city was a little bit surprised, you know, that we decided to, to shut it down. Um, mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, uh, it also sent, I think, a message of like, well, you know, we want to continue working together. You know, uh, Open North continues to be active locally in Montreal, um, but there's a certain expectation now that, you know, we're moving up kind of a, a certain scale of professionalization and we're ready to have that type of conversation with the city. So, And other groups have stepped up also in Montreal, like I think of MTL Data, I think of a couple of other groups, you know, to fill that space and there's certainly been other hackathons that have taken place and you know so life goes on you know sometimes you think that you're you know invaluable or you know kind of special but other people step in and you know it's good to kind of share that that platform with others and i think we were good at being inclusive and empowering and it's a testament to the way that we kind of operate building on this how important is it to have a strong vision we heard about some of the troubles the Sunlight Foundation has faced, particularly their issues with formalizing their vision. In your current organizations, do you also face problems of formalizing or operationalizing your long-term vision? One of the things that made Montreal so easy was that that vision was there kind of packaged and waiting for us. 
um, and it really let us not do a lot of work about um, hashing out our values in between us and you know ensuring that we um, that we had a vision that we could move forward without that vision being compromised it was just uh, you know as I always said it, we made it into a good idea at the right time but it also was given to us as a good idea at the right time um, so I think that was easier um, and then you know I think what the work that Open North does or the work that, that Powered by Data does and that creating that vision is a much bigger piece of it or the direction of, of you know Open North does, does a bunch of things um, and it's always you know as, as a, for other nonprofits as well and for businesses as well it's what's the cohesive vision that, you know between your behind your choices um, so I think the open data community is a young community still internationally, and uh, and it still is working out, you know, how much of this is kind of sizzle and how much of this is steak, um, uh, and how to operationalize those those that vision, those values, um, you know, and, and I, I think of uh, in my field, there's some similar work to what the Sunlight Foundation was working on. Um, so Sunlight Foundation has really spent a lot of energy trying to track um, the money in politics and it's cited Citizens United yeah Citizens United I always confuse them with Manchester United um, <laughs> the Citizens United uh, in their decision to look yeah. to merge with another organization because it's so obfuscated uh, and, and hindered their ability to follow money um, but that was a big part of their idea is we're going to be able to track who funds this and you'll be able to come to our website and see who funds who will make these tools available to show who funds who, um, which really relies again on intelligent actors using that information to make informed decisions, which, you know, may or may not be how politics works mm. kind of thing. It was definitely a hypothesis um, in my sector, in the non not my sector, in the area of nonprofit data, uh, there was a big project to have donors make informed decisions um, about their donations. Um, so that's part of what GuideStar is. Um, and there are some different projects to help donors look up organizations and evaluate them, or a charity navigator, and evaluate them before making a donation. And they had a goal, I think, of having 10% or 50% of people make informed, do research before they made a gift. And uh, when the new Ford president uh, Ford Foundation president came and he shut that down um, and then we're like we declared this you know, mission unsuccessful um, it didn't have the impact they were looking for and now they they changed energies on that but I wonder also with the Sunlight Foundation and for open data in general you know that we're relying on this idea of tools influence behavior and that's that's uh, if not an open question I think a question that still is debated Right, and I think that goes to the, the issue of like what is civic technology, right? That's a sector, and that's been, you know, I, I go to these events sometimes in uh, over the summer called the Personal Democracy Forum, and like the two or three times that I've gone there, uh, which is like a, a big event for the civic tech community, in, at least in the East Coast of, of the U.S., um, you know, and every single year, it's like, who are we as a movement? So there's been that kind of ambiguity and this tension that I think has fed also, you know, uh, 
uh, a certain sense of enthusiasm, right, about this kind of these opportunities that are there to do something and to create something and to kind of spend your own time to build tools that can maybe make your city or your government, you know, operate better. And I think we're seeing a transition between this like volunteer based model or this model that relies a lot on goodwill and like initiative and, um, you know, collaboration kind of shift more towards more government technology, right? Where you have a lot of like, you know, civic tech developers that are now, you know, working for government. And that's essentially is a good thing because yeah. ultimately, you know, uh, there's a pool of talent that is then able to contribute their own skill set to, to making government, you know, better. Um, so that's, that's good. Um, I think, you know, with respect to kind of Sunlight Foundation and Open North, I mean, Open North was founded at like, you know, being closely aligned with, you know, organizations like the Sunlight Foundation and, you know, My Society and, and others. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, the developments that we're seeing, obviously, by our colleagues and, and partners in, uh, in the U.S. is something that, you know, is that, that we take at heart um, because it does, you know, uh, we're obviously we, are, we work on a different scale than Sunlight. Sunlight has, you know, had like 20, 25 employees as of last week, you know, uh, you know, a big, big kind of, uh, you know, extensive network in the U.S. There's also a, a bigger sector in the U.S. to work with, you know, and some might, I think, achieved that successfully. And, mm -hmm. like, I think I'm thinking of its uh, collaboration with Bloomberg, for example, on, like, what cities work, you know, and that's, like, a huge part of their program now. So, you know, I think Sunlight has kind of had to evolve over time. Um, and also go where the energy and the opportunities were, but that key decision really went to their core mission. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, you know, uh, it, for well, at least from what we're seeing, it's been difficult for them to kind of realign themselves and redefine exactly what where they want to take this forward. Um, so, you know, um, there are ideas about like strengthening partnerships and looking at these types of opportunities. I mean, uh, certainly Open North already does that a lot just by default, by virtue of the fact that we're a small organization. If you look at our website, you'll see partnership, partnership, partnership here and there. So I'm always looking for ways of leveraging and, you know, working collaboratively with other organizations because you realize that, you know, you can only, you can only achieve so much, you know, by yourself and, you know, economies of scale and, and things like that. So you know, certainly cognizant of the challenges that someone has faced and we've tried to kind of mitigate those through effective partnerships ourselves. Should advocacy efforts be centralized or decentralized? Is it acceptable for an organization to complete its mission and subsequently disband? You know, how do we make progress? Do we need, do we need larger groups to make progress? Do we need continued, you know, sustained efforts to make progress from the same groups? Um, I certainly think that Right now, it's a very it's a very small area, um, and there's not enough institutional support for it. So I remember when um, when Apathy is Boring was working on um, uh, opening the Hansard, and then like when Molly was working on opening the Hansard, we couldn't get through to the Library of Parliament. And now uh, Open North is is doing a hackathon with the Library of Parliament to yeah. what yeah. this week? CTO, yeah. The October 26th in Ottawa. Okay, there you go. Um, but we couldn't get Library of Parliament, you know, on the phone. Yeah. Um, and, and it turns out that they had XML that was generating their website, and we were taking in the content of the website and 
the presentation level layer of the website and turning it back into XML. Um, you know, I, I think of the struggles, the kind of struggles that we had because we, we didn't have the relationships or we weren't taken seriously in some yeah. ways. Um, so sure, institutional support I think is very important. Uh, I think it's worth notice, noting already that uh, the institutional support that Open North and Powerbyte has received so far is, is um, we've gotten, both gotten grants from the McConnell Foundation. Um, and I think that's the only, uh, as far as I'm aware, that's the only, that's the only support that we've had for our mission. Mm. Uh, I don't know about Open North in terms of receiving grants. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, I, 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 let me walk that back. The Carroll Institute has also um, uh, stepped up to support us. But just to say it's, it's, it's a small, amount that we've you know gotten from institutional support so far and um and i think that you know we're gonna right now the field i think yeah maybe too weak to survive indefinitely as it is mm. um but luckily we do see it growing yeah and not luckily you know we we imagine this would take place and it is growing but i think it needs it needs to grow in order to really be successful yeah i mean i think it's also about defining what success is right and to well, your, to achieve, sorry to jump the truth. not not for us to survive that's not our goal in of itself um, and then i think we're doing fine with the survival yeah um, but it's really to achieve the promise of open government the promise of open data yeah and the opportunities are greater than they, they've ever been before right i mean to your point about working with parliament now the the issue is it's like it's not about just raising awareness about what is open data. It's about how to implement it and how to execute it and how to, you know, help, you know, develop strategies and tactics and, you know, prototyping and things like that and becoming kind of a valuable partner with, um, with a range of different interlocutors that at first didn't kind of look at us kind of, you know, a little bit suspiciously, you know, like what is curious? Yes. All the threats and perceived risks associated with open data. We don't necessarily talk about those as much, although sometimes we do, but, um, so I think that the demand is, is there. There's certainly a huge opportunity and, um, is, would more competition be a better thing, you know, in the sector in meeting that demand? Maybe, you know, sometimes you kind of wish that you had a little bit more, you know, kind of, you know, friends or, you know, people that are thinking about moving the field forward, you know, as you are. Um, but, um, you know, I think, you know, good communication between the organizations that are active in, in that space is obviously essential. And um, also making the best use of these different events now that are reoccurring, like the Canadian Open Data Summit, uh, you know, Go Open Data in Ontario, uh, you know, things like that, just like adding a level of like predictability to kind of the way that people and when people can convene and move that conversation forward. I think we have, we have to do a better job actually of using those, those events so that they're not just about, you know, they're not just speaking spots, you know, but it's more about, okay, how do we actually systematically have a strategy to connect these dots and to look at what's our maturity model and theory of change for Canada collectively as a community. And I don't think that we've articulated that clearly. At least we're probably, if you asked what our theory of change were at these events, I think a lot of people would have very, very different perspectives on that. And that's a, that's a hindrance to, you know, our ability to have a collective impact. Can competition between advocacy groups have a positive impact on the ability to create a combined vision for Canada? Yeah, I definitely believe in, in um, you want a healthy, you know, marketplace of, 
of organizations and people, you know, people moving cities and getting hired between different organizations, um, you know, projects starting. So, and, and I think our voices do need to be louder in, in explaining how to do this right and what, what the benefits are. Um, uh, I think of um, friends who work in the environmental movement um, and they get together once a year and, and, can't, and figure out their campaigns, mm-hmm. uh, figure out, as John was saying, figure out what their policy goals are. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to figure out policy goals when you're one person because <laughs> you, you really you do need to bounce it off, um, you know, other, other political, just your assumptions about how things are working, about what you're hearing because you never have the whole picture. And this is an area that John Elliott has much uh, has more expertise than I do, um, but I think of having twenty groups like ours and um, being able to to hash that out more quickly, and then each work on that in our in our corners, so that um, when people do hear about these ideas, they're hearing it for from us. They're hearing it for the second or third time because they've heard it in other places. So I think that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, one thing to add about that is that you know not a lot of people talk about open data we talk about open governance you know that's not necessarily the most specific thing that people you know think about on a daily basis tend to think more about issues right and so as a community uh open data has the challenge of um you know being quite ambiguous sometimes but it's also a strength for us because it means that we can talk to a lot of different people and we have a lot of different tools and ways of being able to influence or to relate you know different problems to you know our domain right and so that's that's quite useful you know tactically and strategically for for us but it also means that sometimes people don't necessarily see the relevance of of open data as explicitly as as it could be made um so i think we need to do a better job at um you know uh you know collaborating with other communities of practice and kind of weaving open data as part of the types of problems that they're trying to solve, right? So what's the value of open data for fighting climate change? What's the value of open data for fighting like housing or, you know, social inequality? You know, that to me is kind of the next, and it's already happening. I mean, we're seeing that in Calgary and Toronto, there's there's been events around homelessness and, you know, just we can, between the two of us, we can list like, you know, 20 different examples. Um, But the key thing is that those events when they talk about openness and open governance, um, it can't just be at the level of principles. We need to look at you know how to operationalize and how to make data more available in a way that you know sustains like collaborative problem solving. Godan, for example, was a good example. Just recently, they had their big annual event. Uh, I think it was in New York on agriculture data. Huge buy-in, right? And if you read you know Sunlight's uh, newsletter today you know, sometimes being quite critical about, well, we didn't talk about copyright, we didn't talk about licenses, we didn't talk about policies. We talked about how good open data would be for solving a whole bunch of issues that are super important, right? Which connects to the, you know, um, the uh, sustainable development goals and, and things like that. But we need to kind of make open data more, like better understood and more relevant um, in a way that also sets into place a conversation about how difficult the systemic change that's entailed in open data actually becomes, you know, part of a process of, you know, changing institutions and changing power relationships in a way that we're not, we're not there yet. I asked our two guests what kind of support they need. 
Specifically, what do they need from academics, government, and from each other? Because we don't get much mission support, um, it's mostly we do fee-for-service work with, with, uh, with partners uh, that we're aligned with. Um, the support from McConnell was, you know, and Open North got it, uh, a grant from them earlier, um, but that support was great because it let us focus on exactly what our needs were. Um, and for us, that was really communications, and it was um, not just writing blog entries, but it was really thinking through you know, how do, what is our vision putting down on paper and, and being able to explain it to our partners um, and potential partners. Uh, so that, that strikes me still as, as a number of primary need is to have the time and the energy to develop the vision and communicate the vision because it's, it's very clear in, in my head every night when I go to sleep. Hmm. Um, but I don't always have the tools to explain it and, and, and need different communication tools for you know different people you interact with. So to work on those presentations, to work on all those, those different speaking opportunities and stuff, that's still a need for me or for my organization. More than shot noise got one for himself and then I can think of the other two. Sure, sure. <laughs> so I mean, one thing that you know comes to mind, which I think is um, kind of in line with the type of collaboration that we've had with two of things, we've really appreciated over the over the years um you know is our research capacity like just in the last like two months um i've had two interns from uh geothink um which has enabled me to uh conduct a, a major study of city resilience and open data for the open data institute in the uk which is going to be presented at the open city summit you know so Without that capacity to do the 36 interviews in the middle of summer, um, I wouldn't have been able to, to do that. And now we have another intern who just came in and, um, uh, and she's helping us look at the International Open Data Charter and have a conversation with cities in Canada to see whether or not that charter, which is gaining a lot of momentum internationally, can actually help cities in Canada plan better their open data strategies and, and plans. So, you know, I think those types of partnerships are really, really important. Um, are they sustainable? You know, like we were lucky, <laughs> you know, that we were able to find good candidates to help us do that. And we're super grateful for, for the work that they're doing with us. Um, so, you know, going to your uh, question, you know, I would love to have kind of a research, a permanent research unit at Open North. And I could find a lot <laughs> to do, work, you know, and we are obviously very well skilled in data <laughs> you know so that that certainly uh, would enable us to i think enhance our capacity to be able to deliver the type of analysis and the type of you know services um that you know we we're, we're committed to um so that's one piece i think the academic piece and having like a permanent research kind of capacity i think would be certainly an area of, of interest for us um and then, yeah, do you want to jump in? Yeah, 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 yeah. So just on the research, so it's research side and then from each other. So on the research side, um, when you're speaking about new uh, ways of approaching issues, um, one of the important voices in that conversation is academics. Um, and I, I find there's a, um, I'm, I've always been part of academic, uh, community research collaborations for the last 15 years with my different 
different projects that I've done. On the, I've always been on the community side. Um, so I find that uh, as great as GeoThink is, that there's still, we're missing people in our space, in our specific space, uh, which is a nonprofit sector's use of data and um, use of data for social programs um, in Canada. Uh, so I've done some great work with Susan Phillips at Carleton. Um, uh, you know, and I've worked before with Leslie Regan Shade. Uh, these are great people and, and um, but I think we could use more sustained research focus into this area of application, which is um, the nonprofit sector, not only for ourselves, and it could certainly inform our work, but also be different partners um, that, you know, really value and respect uh, the academics um, position um, because they're not selling anything, because they're not, you know, they're not showing up and advocating for a new solution that people haven't heard of. Mm. So um, we could certainly use that. When doing research, academics can have different goals compared to their advocacies. I asked Auguste whether they saw any tension between academic research and their own needs in the nonprofit and private sectors. Not really, not for me. I've, you know, none of, a, uh, none of us are wedded to us, as far as I understand it, we're not wedded to specific um, implementations necessarily. We're happy to you know, absorb and take in the latest research. Um, certainly, yeah, it just helps us do our, our job. Um, so no, I think I think the sector would benefit, or, or this movement would benefit from from more of that. And I, you know, I don't think there's a lot of skeletons and closets people are trying to cover up or anything. I think I mean they're quite interesting collaborations too, right? Because the the speed at which we work, you know, our like the way that we look at uh, you know attribution, you know, things like that is like whenever I work with academics, those have been issues that have kind of come up. Um, and because we have good relationships and I think because there's like this excitement about collaboration between different sectors with the open data community and, you know, academia, I think there's, you know, it makes for a very, very interesting and kind of fruitful and constructive uh, initiatives. And that's, that's been our case with Pamela Robinson and Peter Johnson and Renee Sieber. Um, but I just wanted to turn it over to, to government a little bit in terms of resources and, and whatnot. I mean, I think, you know, we're seeing... Uh, you know, significant uh, increase in demand for us to work with government to do a range of different things, right? Um, work with different uh, federal departments to uh, engage with their data users or stakeholders to understand their needs, for example, training senior public servants on, you know, open government and recognizing opportunities to leverage, you know, certain uh, data sets to prototype different projects or initiatives. I mean, that could go on and on. And the key thing there is that, you know, who's, who would fund us to do that? And should government train itself on, you know, uh, achieving its open government goals? And, you know, to me, I mean, it's quite clear that government should not be doing that. It has a role in kind of institutionally and organizationally to develop its own capacity, but it can only go so far, right? And so who's going to fund us to be able to do that? Fortunately, we've had it you know, some success working with like the Institute on Governance in Ottawa to be part of their curriculum to train, you know, senior public servants. And that's been good. But you look at other places, you know, in like in the US and in the UK and in the types of resources that organizations like ours are able to get to really develop a, you know, a robust training curriculum for 
you know, leaders in the public service, um, we're not there yet. So if there's anybody listening to this podcast, <laughs> you know, who's interested in having that conversation, I think, you know, because we've been in this space for quite some time now, um, and we've seen how government has evolved over time, I think we're very well positioned to offer something that, you know, sounds like it's valuable. Whenever we have the opportunity, I think, you know, the results are, are there, but we could do a lot more. Finally, I asked our guests what they need from government. I'm pretty happy with uh, what the government did put in its open government action plan. Mm. Uh, would it be nice if that process had been um, taken out, taken, taken uh, place over a bit large, longer time period with a bit more engagement? But uh, the final, the results that of what their commitments are. Um, Pretty happy with and specifically there's a commitment there on grants and contributions that we submitted that was retained or that you know shows up at least in their version of it so that's been great um, and then another policy we're trying to position we're trying to suggest um, government take uh, a more serious look at is to make administrative data from social programs from government social programs more available to the public. It does contain private information, so it's actually this is a question. This is a place where open data is not actually the goal. It, it is increased access to data. Um, so that's a how do you use uh, administrative data for evaluation um, in the nonprofit sector for nonprofit programs or social programs. Um, so uh, and this is a key having this access in these ways the way that they do in, in the UK and the states. Enables, among other things, social impact bonds to be able to know when a social impact bond uh, performs. Um, the way you do that is you check that often against your administrative data to see uh, differences between the populations that under went the pro went through the program and that and that in general population. But yeah, the real way to do this is to set up a government, you know, set up a center of excellence, uh, set up a, a not quite an institution, but. You know, there's ways of supporting such initiatives. Um, we're happy that the government, uh, the previous government, did um, uh, fund uh, ODX um, to go about their work over a period of years, and that's that's the kind of thing I think that we could see more of. Mm. It would be great. Maybe just one. I know you, that was the last note, but I'm just going to throw in something else here. I mean, I think also for organizations our size, I think. It, you know, there, there is uh, something to be said about kind of international stakeholders that we connect with that enable us to have perhaps, um, you know, more weight or more influence, you know, because we are connected to an international or a global community. Um, and the OGP is a good example of that with the Open Government Partnership and, you know, the Canadian Open Government Civil Society Network, which is about to kind of also become a forum that was one of the commitments that the government of Canada took on as part of its national action plan which is part of the OGP process um, so you know I think we have to be smart about utilizing you know international institutions and processes to be able to you know strengthen our ability to influence and to talk about open data here in Canada and that's something that we've done I think from the get-go in Montreal when we talked to the city and you know we were trying to put create a contrast between the lack of leadership on open data and transparency 
uh, in Montreal versus what was starting to see or emerge in other places like in Vancouver and other places that were adopting open data policies and then, you know, this greater kind of momentum internationally. So, you know, how to internationalize what you work with or the partners that you work with and your goals locally and vice versa, how to localize things that you see internationally. I think that double movement is actually, you know, for me, quite a useful way of kind of not falling myself into kind of silos of, you know, kind of the work that I try to do and also feeling some level of support uh, with these, you know, huge communities of practice around the world on all types of issues, you know. Um, you know, that's, that's part of what motivates me, you know, to, to continue doing this work is, you know, that I know that I can, you know, every day I can talk to, you know, such wide array of different people that are super passionate about their work, whether it's legislative transparency or agriculture data or open contracting or whatnot around the world, around the world. So, you know, I think we could, we could be more useful in Canada, you know, with that kind of experience. Um, so hopefully we can uh, continue to grow. That concludes this episode of GeoThoughts. If you're one of our research partners or collaborators and have feedback or thoughts on this podcast, please feel free to contact us. GeoThoughts are brought to you by geothink.ca and generous funding from Canada's Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. Mm -hmm.